And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Straight from the Source is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. By the end of this current road trip, the Wild will play almost half their road games. So, lots of home games coming up. Three home games on this next homestand, including Miko Koivu's 1,000th game celebration, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, and Chuck Fletcher's Philadelphia Flyers. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. joined by Lou Nanny. Another episode of Straight from the Source uh, with Michael Russo. We're down here in uh, beautiful Tampa. It's 65 degrees out. Absolutely gorgeous just walking from Amelie Arena right here to the uh, Marriott Water Street now. Um, by the way, if you want to subscribe to uh, The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source will get you in for 40% off. Lou, longtime uh, NHL, was a player, was a coach, was a general manager, and now suddenly a color analyst uh, working with Anthony LaPant on this road trip. You made your, when was the last time you did color for an NHL game? 1991, but what you forgot is I actually started working for the, when I was playing with the Olympic team, mm-hmm. an expansion came with the uh, North Stars. And I decided not to sign right then until after the Olympics. I did the, the North Stars show, TV show, at the end of each game. Wow. So I, I was a season ticket holder. I was doing the show at the end of the game. 
And uh, when Masterton was killed, I was playing with Boston, in Boston with the Olympic team against Boston University on Saturday night. That's when Billy got hit that night in Minnesota and, and uh, passed away. And, mm -hmm. and the, they were playing in Boston the next day. So when they came to Boston the next day, they had asked me to stay over. So that was the first color game I did in the NHL. It was the next day in Boston. That was uh, 1968. And after that, I, I did uh, Hockey Night in Canada. I did uh, uh, the uh, NBC, ABC games uh, that they used to do in the NHL. I, in the playoffs when we were out, I go do the color for CBS. I worked with Dan Kelly. I did ESPN when they started. I was their first color analyst. Right. I did it first in college, and then I did their NHL games. And I, I did the, the last ones I did was uh, with the North Stars. I, I was like you said, player, coach, manager, president. And then Norm Green bought the team, and uh, he took over as president. I was vice president. And in the playoffs, they asked me to do the color for that run to the finals. So I did the color all through the final run in 1991. And obviously you do the state high school tournament, but you step in right into the NHL booth yesterday, and just watching the game again, it just seemed absolutely seamless. Uh, and, and I mean, immediate... Re you know, reactions on goals. Uh, I mean, the Zuccarello play, I don't think that's something that a lot of people would have seen right off the hop. You called the Kakanen going for the empty net uh, before he he even shot for it. How, how, I mean, was it seamless for you to just step right in and, and do that game with Anthony? Yeah, because I just watch a game and, and talk about what I see. And and, it, uh, and Anthony and I, by the way, worked it together in the state tournament mm -hmm. for a number of years because uh, this coming year will be my 56th year since I started doing the Amazing. state tournament. So in a long time but uh it's just something that all i like i see i just tell people what i'm watching and and uh, and uh, pick up things that i think that are pertinent to the the play interesting for the fans and and I, what i try and do is i i i try and talk like i would be talking to someone in my living room mm -hmm. and use the terminology i would be doing that so you you won't find me using a new terminology like distributing the puck and, <laughs> and transporting the puck. And I, I'm like Danny Gallivan, you see, I pass the puck. And, in fact, if you go to the, the best broadcaster there is, it's Mike Emmerich. Right. He still uses the word that I grew up with, hoist. He hoists <laughs> the puck, you know. So I, I don't get into the new terminology. I think there's too many people. He even does more. He'll be like, yeah. hey, he yeah. helicoptered the puck. Yeah. He yeah. elevated yeah. the yeah. puck. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you just – but you how about having the earpiece? Like you have the earpiece in. You're yeah. talking to the truck. You're having to tell them replays, the technical stuff of doing TV. Did yeah, that? But I do that every year. Yeah, so right. So that's not like it's. I haven't done it for a long mm -hmm. while. I'm every year in the state tournament. I got to go through that for the three days that I work, all the championship rounds of uh, class, you know, two A. Uh, so it's it's nothing that I, I'm not doing constantly or at least yearly. We're talking with Lou Nanny here at the Wild Team Hotel, beautiful hotel. You flew uh, down on a chartered aircraft. On uh, you, you uh, flew a chartered aircraft over here. How different is the travel flying with today's NHL team to when you were in the league? Funny you said that, because I was sitting across from Tom Reed and Tommy and I played together, and I said, I, I looked at the plane, the setup, the way the seats are—they're all first-class seats. The food, etc. I said, Tommy, do you recall we used to have at the maximum? two charters a year, and the one year we had a, one charter, we were playing in L.A. on a Saturday night. We had to play in Vancouver late Sunday afternoon, so we chartered, and I got in a little bit of trouble because I was sitting at the back by Tommy, 
and we had a prop job with three, you know, with DC three with props, and we were flying, and I said, "Hey, look out there! Six ducks just passed us," <laughs> and it didn't go over very well with the coach. <laughs> but it took so long, we had to stop in Seattle for gas. We ended up then we had to go through customs. We ended up. 10 o'clock in the morning getting yeah. to Vancouver. These guys, I mean, it's just, it, it's it's uncanny. I, when you haven't experienced it like they experience it now, it's you see it's a significant change. And, and then I was telling them what I said, you know, the one thing that I don't like about today's travel and that for these guys, after the game last night, if we'd have been playing, we'd have gone out together. We, mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't be leaving right away. We'd spend time together. Mm -hmm. Instead, they get in the plane, they get here, we get here one o'clock, they go to bed. And now the only time that they have to be together is about three hours in the afternoon today. And then they go back on the plane tomorrow, tonight, you know, after the game tomorrow and back out to Carolina. I said, even though it's much more restful, allows them to be taking better care of themselves, the one thing, when we all go, I said, and I told us to Pulford when he was belating the, the fact that these guys are making so much money. He said, Pulley, we did well when we played, when we managed. I said, there are no saddlebags on the casket. Mm -hmm. But look at the memories we have. That's all we talk about now. Mm -hmm. And I think these guys are going to miss out on some of that because they're not – able to bond like we did because they, they won't have as much time together. Even the fact that, I mean, on a, on a, on a similar note but different, the fact that in today's collective bargaining agreement, they have no roommates. You're right. So they don't yeah. even go back to the room and hang yeah. out with their buddy. I mean, one of the cool stories I did last week on Miko's Thousandth Game was the stories that Nick Schultz and yeah. Stefan Veyu shared yeah. about being roommates with yeah. him. And these guys don't have roommates. I know. And... and Speaking to that, we were playing in, in New York. We played at home in Minneapolis, Saturday night, and we had to get to New York right after the game, so we did take a charter that night because we had an afternoon game in New York mm -hmm. on uh, NBC. So we, we landed at the hotel, and t Teddy Harris's coach, and uh, I, I get my key, and I'm rooming with Jill Gilbert, the goaltender. Mm -hmm. And Jilly was a notorious snorer, <laughs> and I can't, I can't, sleep of a guy snoring like that so i went to teddy i said teddy i can't room with jilly i said i will pay for my own room can i go get my own room nope you stay with jilly <laughs> i mean just, just up all night you know just things we'd have to do we couldn't even buy our own room right you know the only time i ever had an own room was in my last year i was the oldest guy i was almost 37 and if we had an odd player out then it would revert to me. I'd get, I'd, I'd be the guy that had a single room. Did you uh, get per diem? Oh yeah. How much? That was. <laughs> How much? Well, you know, here's some of the difference. First of all, we get per diem, uh -huh. but if we have a dinner, they take off half the per diem. <laughs> so we might get forty dollars a day right. per diem, and uh, these guys today get one twelve, one twelve, yep. and then they don't give up. The kind of money we give I, I've never seen too much food in my life. They, they got food in the <laughs> locker room. They got food in the plane. They get food here. They get all these meals, and then they get per diem. I said, anything we had to get from the club was taken out of our check. Right. And, yeah. And, and we're doing this podcast in the Wilds Meal Room here at the at the team hotel as well, and it smells like they had a feast at some yeah. point here tonight. <laughs> um, 
and a video session. I should uh, I should turn that on and see what secrets are uh, over there <laughs> over your shoulder. Um, it is. I mean, it is a different animal today's right. today's player, right? I mean, it, it's just a there. I mean. You know, I, I've always talked to people like you, Tom Reed, Danny Potvin. I was talking to the other day about how you came to training camp to get in shape. Right. Now these guys, they can't afford that. They come into shape. It's a, it just seems like, you know, you mentioned players going out and things like that. I remember once on the road a couple of years ago, the Wild played a game in L.A., and they had no curfew, and they were going to Columbus the next day. And all of a sudden, it's like I'm in the lobby drinking at 10 p.m., and I see the entire team coming in with no game the next day just to go to bed. That would and never just, happen. Yeah, it's just no. a different world now. But but it's not that the you know they they can't afford not to come to training camp out of shape. There's a complete difference when they get to camp. They're playing a game immediately four days later yeah. at the most, usually even three. When we got to camp, we went to camp for 28 days. Yeah. So now it's we like would, 16. Now it's 16. We would have 12 to 14 games in camp. They'd let you rest two. But you always play at least 10 or 12. And, and so you're in camp for a lot longer. And, and even then, I remember when we got Leo Boyvin uh, from the Bruins and he came to the North Stars. It was training camp. In those days, we didn't have pucks the first two days. They just skated the heck out of you. And that's what they did. That's how they got you in shape. And they punished you, in other words, by skating for an hour and a half, constantly guys getting sick, you know, and, and twice a day, by the way. So <laughs> we're going around, we're doing this, and I, I see Boyvin hanging over the boards. This is his 20th season. So I walk, I skate over, and I said, Leo, you okay? He said, no, I'm not okay. And I said, didn't you work out? Like, <clears throat> I had played with the Olympic team. I was in shape. I worked out all summer. And I just assumed that these guys would do something to work out. <laughs> he says, hey, kid, what are you, a wise guy? He says, that's what training camp's for. <laughs> he said, the last game of the year, I put these <coughs> skates on a nail, and today I take them down. That's how it works. <laughs> so it is completely different. Unbelievable. Um, there's a lot going on in today's league right now with uh, stories the last couple of weeks of uh, coaches that were abusive to players. Bill Peters just lost his job, not just for the abuse that he put um, – a couple of Carolina players through, but obviously using a racial slur on Akeem Alou. Um, but now suddenly we're seeing all sorts of uh, stories about Mike Babcock making Johan Franzen have a nervous breakdown on the bench. We're seeing stories about Mark Crawford suddenly is on leave from being the assistant coach with the Chicago Blackhawks because of uh, alleged abuses that he had on players. Back in the day, it just it seems like what's acceptable now would be you know, it, it does not. I guess the best way to put it is that in today's day and age, you cannot do the stuff that took place That's back in your in your time. Yeah. Do you have any stories of? Oh sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our day and age, uh, really, it, it was customary for the coach to berate you, belittle mm-hmm. you, humiliate you uh, in between periods. And it, I mean, there's times uh, goals were the. I'll never forget, we were playing and, and Goldsworthy was on the ice the last minute of the first period. Ren Blair was our coach and Ren was screaming and yelling at him and going up and down. And, and uh, as the period ended, Goldie was coming full speed towards the bench, the buzzer went and Ren opened the door and Goldie just dropped him with a right hand because he <laughs> heard him all the way and jumped on him. The trainer jumped on Goldie. Me and the other guys jumped on the trainer. Uh, that happened, and then they'd go in the locker room like they were going to fight, didn't. Mariucci was like my second father. Uh-huh. He was my coach in college. 
He did everything. He's the guy that talked me into turning pro with the North Stars. Mm -hmm. He was my assistant general manager when I took over. But we were in, uh, we had almost had a fight in, in college when he threw me off the team for getting in a fight in North Dakota. And, and I thought I lost my scholarship and I was getting married that summer. And so I, I challenged him to a fight in the locker room. And that's close as I got to getting killed. He put his hands in his pocket and, and he ran out into, into the corridor in North Dakota and it was freezing. And, and I ran out naked after him and told him to get back in and, you know, and, and he came back in again and he put his hands in his pocket or he would have killed me. But at that time, you're a young guy, you don't, you know, all I'm thinking about is my, my life and my life's going to be ruined. And, mm -hmm. and then later on, now when I'm playing in the NHL, uh, he's, he's named coach of the team in, in Vienna and, and I got him a lot of the players, but I didn't want to go. Because I, I got four kids. I've been playing all year. No, you got to come. You got to come. And sure enough, I get over there. And when I get there, Bob Paradise had said, uh, "Good thing you're here. It's going to be a, 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 revol a, a revolt here. Guys are really upset with John." I said, "Don't worry." I said, "I'm here now. He'll focus on me." He never left the locker room when I played in college. Would give me hell. I was always the last guy. And after it was through, he said, "Louis, if I couldn't give you hell." Okay, you know, nobody else could say anything when I was giving you hell all the time. Right. That, that was just his way of operating. So don't worry, you focus on me, and that's it. Well, he sure did focus on me because the, the second last game of the tournament, we'd already qualified for the playoffs. We couldn't go up or down. We're playing Romania, and uh, we start off, and, and we had this uh, Czechoslovakian referee, and he used to give me – Penalties, sometimes I thought for nothing in the tournament. Anyway, he gives me <laughs> four in that first period. And uh, after one, after the third one, I I never went back to the bench. I come out of the penalty box, go to the ice. And even if they scored, go to the ice. And the puck came back to me, and he was standing over by the uh, bench, the U.S. bench, and Mary, she screamed from the bench. And I fired the puck at the referee, but, you know, I almost hit John. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to play, you know, start again and continue. I got another penalty, win the box, come back out. And I now the play stopped, and Mariucci's, I'm, I'm going to the bench. And I went to get it, and he, don't you dare come in here. You're all done. You take your uniform off. That's it. So I didn't listen to him. I go to the other end of the bench. And I no sooner climb over the boards, he punched me in the head. So now I get up, we're wrestling, and players are on top of us, and I said, this is what during you, the game? During the game. Uh-huh. I said, what are you doing? I said, there's cameras all over. And over New York Times, every, this, this thing went worldwide. I said, we'll, we'll finish this in the locker room. You're making a fool out of all of us here. I said, I'm not what you're going to do with it. <laughs> and and uh, so we go down to the locker room, and we almost had it out then. And he says, you're not going on the ice. And, and some of the guys says, if Louis doesn't go on the bench, we're not going out to play the third period. And so... He said, okay, but you're not playing. I said, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I said, I got my wife here. She's sitting with your wife. I didn't come all the way to Vienna to to sit or, or to take my clothes off or my uniform off. I'll sit on the bench, but I'm not staying in the locker room. Okay, fine. Well, I go out there, and one shift later puts me on. I score the whole thing. <laughs> and, but after the game, you know, we're still not talking. Next morning, 
reporter calls me from the, I think it was the Times or Paris Match or something. He says, uh, uh, Mr. Nanny, can you come down and give us your side of the story? I said, what do you mean my side of the story? Well, we just talked to Mr. Mariucci who went to your side. So it's okay, I'll be right down. So first I go over to his room, knock on the door, and I said, Gretchen answers, where is he? And Gretchen, my wife, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're close. I, I, she said he's in the back. So I went back there, and he says, what do you want? I says, what did you tell the, the paper? So I told him, this is just a regular thing for you and I. <laughs> it's the way we grew up. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. So he said, it's like a father-son thing. So I went down and told the paper that. We came home, we did a commercial with T Twin City Federal about this <laughs> strong strength of Twin City Federal. It starts with pots and pans flying in the kitchen. You yeah. can't see anything. It's like we're fighting in the kitchen. Do you think, I mean, do you think there's a lot of coaches right now in the league, especially now in today's social media age where players seem empowered that they're willing to throw stuff out there, that there's a lot of nervous coaches right now waiting like oh my god what did i do in my past that's suddenly going to come out and make me look you know uh, like an abusive coach that's a good point mike i think i was thinking about that at lunch today i'm thinking i said to tommy reed i said how long would we last today we, you know with the things that have happened to us i i said uh there are going to be a lot of nervous people right now i i mean you know we've had our times in the locker room, said things, did things, and if it, these things just don't happen anymore, there's been such a culture change that uh, it, it's it's something that we could never envision happening. But at the same time, we know if those things were transported to today, and or stories like that came out, and and, and we're still employed somewhere, could cost somebody a job. I, that's just the way it was in the locker room. There were there. I can't tell you how many times there. Were, stuff went on in the locker room, you know, guys throwing stuff at the coach or the coach doing stuff to the players. I mean, I, you know, that was that was just the way it was. Yeah. I, I think part of the thing was, if you look back, before the Players Association got strong, before there even was a Players Association, the owners and the coaches had all the power. They, you, they could do anything to you because you had – you had no recourse. Right. You either play and accept what they were doing, or go home. And and especially when there's six, you know, six teams, they have players lined up at the door to come and play. Yeah. You know, in your position. So, the, the things have changed so drastically, and fortunately, these dramatic changes have made it better for everybody. But the people today that aren't accustomed to it can't envision. How did this happen? Yeah. Well, it happened because we were in a different time. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Chris Chelios told a story on Spit and Chicklets the other day that he was so pissed off with Mike Keenan for benching him that he went into his office, wrecked everything on his desk, everything that Mike Keenan owned, and then, and then to top it all off, stuck his stick in the ceiling so Mike would know who did it. <laughs> Do you have any stories of when you were managing or coaching of players just absolutely going after you or, or run-ins and things like that? Not not really going after me. I I have a, a lot of stories because I, I always felt, you know, I like to see the team bonded as a team stick together and and they can use us, the management side, as a foil. So I always made certain the team knew that you don't get between the coaches and me. And and I had an open door policy so they, that they could come to me with any problem. 
But if it was coming to me with a problem about why aren't they playing or who aren't they playing more or something, uh, I had one guy, uh, you know, Greg Smith, who I really liked. He was a very good defenseman for us, and and uh, he wasn't on the power play, and and he was complaining to, to Glenn, says that's the way, and Summer says that's the way it's going to be. You don't like to go see Louis. So sure enough, he came to see me. Well, he doesn't, not aware that I'm going to support my coaches no matter what. And Greg comes in, sits down, and he said, uh, well, I would like to talk to you about something. I said, sure. He says, uh, why am I not in the power play? I said, I don't know. I'm not the coach. I said, if I was a coach, you wouldn't even be playing regular shift. <laughs> so he got up and walked out. Well, I really liked him. I, he might have been in the power play with me, but I wasn't going to let it happen. So I had that go even further. I had a number of guys that, you know, Glenn was tough in his own right in the locker room. He was a great coach. And so they'd get upset, and I, I'm not going to name names, but it happened four or five times where they'd come in and say, I can't play anymore for Glenn, thinking, like, you know, I'm going to get on Glenn. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to trade you. Uh, where would you like to go? <laughs> if, I, if I can get you there, I will. Otherwise, you're going somewhere else. And I trade every one of them. Mm -hmm. There was never a guy who walked in my locker room that has to be traded that I didn't trade. Yeah. A little different back in the day, yeah. trading players, right? I mean, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, it is hard to make deals now. Yeah, because you got the cap. Yeah. And and uh, you got these no move clauses. I'd never signed anybody to no move. Right. In fact, I never signed anybody. The only contract I ever signed was the first one. Bobby Smith was coming out of junior, and it was I just took over the job. WHA was trying to sign and put their money together, and I gave him a one way contract. That's the only contract, and I don't know, in ten years I I had to sign five hundred thousand contracts. Everybody else had a two way contract. I would not give in. Didn't matter who it was. And Marcel Boo couldn't believe when he looked at once. I, I said, the problem, you got trying to move those guys, you pay them too much. Well, you paying the same. I said, no, I don't. Yes, you do. I said, here's my contract book. We were flying from a board meeting in uh, New York and going up to Montreal. I was going to uh, watch a game, and he was going to come back. He opened and looked at it. He says, who did this? I said, I did it. He said, what do you make? I told him. He said, I'll pay you that much just to do my contract. <laughs> I, I would never give in. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how times have changed. We're talking yeah. with Lou Nanny um, here in, down in Tampa. You're listening to Straight from the Source. Again, athletic.com slash straight from the source. We'll get you in for 40% off. It's incredible site. I even uh, got Louie involved right at the beginning when I went there, uh, which is pretty cool. I helped you uh, set you up uh, with your account and everything like that. Um, and now all of a sudden we have podcasts throughout. This is just one of them. Uh, Two Man Advantage is one of my favorite ones with Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside. So definitely listen to that. Um, Lou, uh, the other thing I put you on was Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's still one of my jo great joys was setting up your account, uh, taking your picture and putting it on your avatar, um, watching you learn the whole mechanism. But it seems like you've embraced it. Well, it's worked now. I, I didn't know what you were doing when I asked you. Next thing I knew, it was done. But uh, yeah, it's you know, it's something that now that I'm, if I was playing or managing, I probably wouldn't be on it. Yeah. But now that uh, you know, it's for me. It's just it's it's like picking up your athletic or something. Just get some news or see what's what's gone on that I don't know about. Or you you get tidbits from around the, not only hockey but you know other sports and other things so it's it's interesting and it's a cool way i mean it's almost like fans can text you I yeah, mean, yeah you know yeah. they are they're they're able to have uh conversations with you and and give you feedback yeah, and ask yeah. you questions and yeah. mm -hmm. it's pretty neat um which which 
I still find it funny that one the the one that where you sent me you're like uh, I get this tweet in like the middle of December from you that says uh, thanks Mike but it's not my birthday it's in June and I'm like and I look at what you're replying to and, and I'm like yeah I did send you that in June you're oh, just replying yeah. now <laughs> still one of my favorite yeah. tweets from you all time uh, Lou the you know the one thing about those North Star days you know, I think I've told you many many times my, one of my favorite players that I've ever covered down in Florida was Dino Cicerelli. Um, you, Dino, when he went into the Hall of Fame, said some really heartfelt things about you. Uh, this is somebody that in juniors broke his femur, and yet you still gave him a chance. What What was it about Dino that made you give him, you know, made you uh, take a chance on him that early? Well, I I was playing in New York on February 10th, Madison Square Gardens. We got beat five nothing that night. I came back, and the board of directors called me in on a Friday morning, February 10th. And they hired me as general manager and coach. So they fired the general manager and coach. And, and basically, I, I was like a, a one-man show. I had a couple of scouts that I didn't know because they worked for the North Stars. I wasn't familiar with the scouts. The only guy I knew was Mariucci, who was, like I said, he was my college coach. And he's the guy that talked me into going to the North Stars. So uh, I, I'd run practice. I'd go to the airport. I'd go scout a game. and. I'd, fly back in the morning, early morning, get a practice, and I was doing a lot of this stuff myself. Well, we were in last place when I took over, and uh, we were behind Washington by about six points, and this kid, Bobby Smith, was ranked number one by Central Scouting, and Brad uh, Marsh, number two, he was in London, uh, and so they were playing each other in a game, so I figured I'd go and watch them play each other because I'm going to have to make a decision on one of these guys. And I was using Central Scouting's list to give me an idea of what some of the players. So I flew to London, I watching the game, and then I'm watching, and this little guy, I mean, he just caught my eye. The things he was always skating, how competitive he was, scored some goals, and there was no doubt in my mind after watching the game, Bobby Smith was going to be number one. But there was a guy, uh, I want to ask his name is John. He was a writer for London Press. I want to say Hartwell or something. And and uh, he knew me, you know, from the NHL, and he came and talked to me. And, and uh, I said, hey, tell me about this, this Cicerelli kid. And he said, Louis, what you see is what you get. That kid is so competitive. He can score goals. He said, there's this kid in the league, L. Secor, is a big, tough guy. And every time they play Hamilton, that kid checks Cicerelli. He said, this year, Cicerelli scored a goal, and we had a picture in the paper of Cicerelli scoring, and behind you could see Secord coming. Cicerelli came down to the newspaper, and he said, could I have the 8 by 10 of that? And he said, sure, why? And he put on this, hey, dummy, isn't this your check scoring? And he sent it to Secord. And, and I said, God, he's all that plus the score? Yeah, so I, I said, be interested to see this in a draft this year. He's oh, not a draft. He's a year under the draft. So we draft Bobby Smith. The year goes by, and they switch the draft to uh, six rounds. And we're instead of doing it in Montreal, we each do it from our own building. So we're we're in the Met Center in in the press lounge. We have the draft. It's over, and Harry Howells is my head scout. I said, Harry. Did I miss something? Did nobody take that uh, Cicerelli kid out of London? He said, no. I said, how could that be? The guy's a hell of a player. I, I loved what I saw. He said, Louis broke his leg this year. He's got a rod in the leg. 
And I said, so nobody took him. He says, no, you, you know, might not play again. I said, okay, fine. So I went to my office and I called this Charlie Bull, who was a Canadian Olympic doctor when I was with the U.S. team 10 years before that. And I'd see Charlie when I was in Toronto. I said, Charlie, if I send a kid to you for uh, examination, can you let me know if this guy's going to be able to play again? He said, sure. So I called up Cicerelli. I didn't know Dino. We had his number. I called him. I said, Dino, I introduced myself. I said, I'm really interested in signing you. Would you go to Toronto to see this doctor so I can get a report? He said, sure. So he went there. Bull calls me back. He says, oh, they can take the rod out. He'll be able to play again. So I called, you know, and I said, I'm coming over to talk to you and your dad. When I get there, the father said, oh, Scotty Bowman, uh, you know, uh, from Buffalo here, right up the road. And he was wondering how we were doing. I said, I'm here to sign you. And, the, and his father, right from Italy, brings out the wine, brings out the prosciutto and the cheese. And I said, hey, Vito, what are you going to do? You're going to put your boy anywhere else or we're an Italian guy you can trust? So <laughs> I signed him for $25,000 and that was Amazing, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, it's funny, some of my greatest memories with Dino after he played was going to some Italian restaurants with yeah. him. You know, the, the whole... Uh, the whole uh, Italian thing. In fact, the other night when we went to dinner in Fort Lauderdale, we were in that awesome restaurant, Sardelli's, and mm. we had the we had the Lepanta, we had the yeah. Minervini, yeah. my buddy, the Florida yeah. announcer. We had a nanny and a Russo, four yeah. guys with <laughs> last names ending in vowels. Yeah. Uh, it was perfect for an Italian restaurant. Um, one of my uh, uh, other favorite stories that you've told is is how you got Mike Madano. I mean, uh, you know, this, obviously you drafted him first overall, but if I remember correctly, Gunn's wife wanted you to take yeah. Trevor Linden. Correct. Um, so this all starts in Traverse City, right? You have a scouting combine. No, and, what happened was okay. uh, it was in February, and, and uh, our scouts said, uh, Louis, there's uh, two kids at the top, Madonna and Linden. You got to come and, you know, see, the, see what you think, and we got to make a choice. Well, when I saw Madonna was up in Prince Albert, it was unbelievable. I mean, he's young. He's got that baby face. He looks like he was five, because now he only looks like he's 20. But uh, I came back, and we were in last place at the time. We had, that year, I think it was over 500 man games missed. And uh, I came back, and I said to Gordon Gunn. And I'd already announced a month before that that I'm, I'm giving up the general manager's job and, and retiring. And I'll stay only as long as the draft, but not any longer than that. And if they can get a general manager before that, then I'm, I'm ready to move on. I was going to go into another industry because this job was affecting my health. So I came back, and uh, Gordon Gunn came in town uh, for our, our, our business meetings. And and I said, Gordon, i got to tell you something. I said, I saw a kid who was a franchise player. I said... Now, we're four points out of a playoff position, but, you know, if we don't do anything, we'll pick first. If you want, I can make a trade. We might be able to make the playoff position, but if we make it, then we pick six because we're going to have the least amount of point totals, but our, and our division's lowers. We're, we're going to pick sixth. Now, I said, I would tell you going forward, it's really important to have this kid. He brings you right out of your seats. He's charismatic. He's faster in the wind. He can shoot. He sees the ice. I said, 
one of the best things I've ever seen. So I could do nothing and we could get this kid or I can try and help this team along and see if we make the playoffs. What do you want me to do? I says, well, it's up to you. I says, I can take the heat. Don't worry about that. But, you know, we're going to be last if, if you want this kid. He says, do what you think is best for me. I said, you're getting Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the, tra the meetings. We bring them both in, as we always do. For, and we, we give them, uh, uh, we had developed a test. The, the Gallup poll in Des Moines does, you know, the, all these polls and that, but they do uh, psychological tests, et cetera. And so we had them develop a test uh, for us to use when guys were close, you know, that we can maybe get a little more insight into them. And one of the things I want them to do was gather a test. All the great players play the game at slow speed. I always said Gretzky played it from the press box. I played it from the ice. And they developed a test that could really quantify elongated time, which means the game's being played slower. And McDonald's was higher off the charts, you know, just what we would expect. But we, we had, and Lyndon was a great player and, you know, going to be a great leader. But we just thought Madonna had that little extra. However, we took him into Traverse City. Gordon Gunn, George Gunn, Gordon's wife, Luli, all came to meet the players. And we had three days of scouting meetings. And going back, Madonna was going back to Detroit. And Lyndon was going to Detroit to catch a nonstop flight to Vancouver. So Gordon says, well, I'll drop the boys off in Detroit. And I said, fine. So Lyndon spent a lot of time with Luli Gund on that flight back. And uh, after it was over, you know, the next day Gordon called and, and he said, how'd everything go? I said, well, we're all set. We, we've made our choice. Our, our scouting staff is finished. And uh, he says, well, who are we getting? I said, why are you asking? He says, because Luli really hopes it's <laughs> Lyndon. I said, well, tell Lily she's not getting her wish because we're getting Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Madonna on the Straight from the Source podcast a couple weeks ago, and he told a funny story that how nervous he was during it, that he was, like, being put through the tent, you know, the, through, like, heat, you know, lights and, and lamps and, and just uh, absolutely terrified at just some of the, the, uh, the questions being asked and things like that. And then he goes out to Vancouver, and he's out on a yacht, and going out in downtown Vancouver, and he's like, you know, this wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> <out in Vancouver>. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really funny. Um, let's do this. Uh, so I don't know if you're on straight from the source. Uh, we have an abbreviated version that goes on to Apple, and then we have uh, the rest uh, that goes uh, as a bonus coverage right onto the Athletic app. So again, if you want to subscribe to theathletic.com, theathletic.com slash straight from the source will get you in. Um, if you're listening on Apple, uh, this is going to be uh, pretty much the end of the show. Um, Louis, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, again, we're going to continue this. Um, but uh, if you're also listening to Straight from the Source, you could you could click the link on the uh, Apple uh, uh, podcast to get to uh, The Athletic as well. Also, please rate the show as well. Louis, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Nice to be with you. Love it.